Well, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you for choosing to be with us this morning, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining with us online. Uh, and actually, not just thank you for choosing to do that, but actually congratulations, I reckon, are in order. Like, well done for choosing to devote your Sunday morning to worshiping God, right? For choosing to spend your time on a Sunday morning lifting up the name of Jesus, to spend time in community with other believers, for choosing to put Christ at the center of your life. Uh, I assume that for most of you here in this room, it's not just an accident that you're here. It wasn't sort of it wasn't a mistake that you found yourself here. Most of us, you know, most of us made a whole lot of choices that led to either being in the room or watching online. I, know, I mean, I know it's possible. Some people, maybe that's not quite true, but I think very few of us were in the middle of singing that last song and turned to the next person and went, how did I get here? Like, that's not normally how a Sunday morning works. We tend to make a whole lot of choices. And... Uh, Choices are something that we make every day, right? We make a lot of choices in every single moment of every day. And last week, Paul Cargill uh, was sharing here, and he spoke a message about the story of the Good Samaritan. And Paul talked about all the different choices that we see in that story that different people make. And towards the end of his message, Paul made this statement, we have a choice to use our lives and allow them to be a blessing to others, or to keep our heads down and pretend we didn't see. There's one of the big choices that we have to make with our lives. We make choices about what we do, choices about what we say, how we spend our time, who we spend our time with, uh, what we watch, how we relate to others, what we wear, what we eat, what we spend our money on. Most of you spend money on what your kids wear and what they eat, probably. One of our staff, actually, by way of farewell, uh, often doesn't say goodbye or see you later. He will often say to people, make good choices as his way of saying goodbye. Make good choices as you're leaving the office or leaving church. Does anyone remember those um, choose-your-own-adventure books, or sometimes called pick-a-path? I wasn't even sure they were still a thing until last night after I'd already written this message, literally I saw on the couch that my daughter had got a Choose Your Own Adventure book out of the library. So obviously they still exist, so that's pretty cool. But they're the books, if you, if you don't remember, if you haven't read them, they're the books where you become the main character in the story. And after you've read a few pages, it sort of sets the scene, and, and then you get to a place in the book where it offers you a couple of choices about how you think the story should proceed from there. If you choose to go to the space station, turn to page 32. If you decide to bike back home, then continue on page 65. Oh, I think I'll bike back home. That sounds really exciting. But then you, you, go, to the next, you go to that next page and you, you read a few more pages. And then at the end of, end of that little description of what would have happened if you'd made that choice, then there's another couple of options turn up at the bottom of that next page. If you choose to feed the ferocious tiger by hand, turn to page 27. If you decide to run into the dark, scary cave, continue on page 83. Now, most of the books I found only had one sequence of choices that actually turned out any good. Like most of the time, if I recall correctly, uh, 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 yes, or at least half the time, you make a choice and you actually ended up dead. Um, which is probably why the books aren't around so much anymore. Um, but I have a confession to make, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I would often cheat a little bit when, when reading these stories because I wanted to get the best possible result. 
So when I got to a choice, you just, you know, you just put your finger in that page and turn ahead to one of the options and sort of read that a little bit. And then you go back, oh, what was the other page? And you, you go ahead and check that page. And then, of course, when you got to those options and they gave you more choices instead of, you know, killing you off, then you had to get more fingers and put those in those pages or, or little bits of paper or even, I know you're not supposed to do this, but just turning the corner of the library book page. That was a no-no, but you, know, you still did it until you have like eight fingers in the book as you're trying to get through to figure out the right path, see what happened in each of the alternate timelines. Am I the only one who did that? No, you all did that. Okay. I might have been the only one who did this. I do remember one particular time where I thought, actually, what I'll do is I'll start at the back I'll go through and read all the bits that say the end, find the one that I think is the coolest, and then work my way backwards from that page. So if the best ending was on page 82, I'd have to scan through the rest of the book, find the bit that says turn to page 82. It's like, okay, and then go back. So I did that once, but as it really defeats the purpose of a choose-your-own-adventure kind of storyline, it was actually very boring and unsatisfying, so I, I, didn't, I didn't do that again. Um, you know, when I was a kid, um, uh, computer games were a bit like that as well. Because uh, the computer game, they were, they weren't wasn't so much sort of action stuff because the graphics couldn't handle it. So most of the computer games were story-based games. I don't know if anybody's heard of Space Quest or King's Quest or uh, The Secret of Monkey Island. That one was hilarious. You should try that. But many of the games were story-based, and you got to choose where you sent your character and what they said and how they interacted with other characters in the game. And depending, again, on what choice you made, that would actually open up different possibilities for the game to carry on. What you said to this character led to other things that you could say to that character. And all these choices would change what happened as you went forward. And of course, most of them, if you didn't get it right, ended up in you being dead. Um, again, so with computer games, what you had to do, instead of putting your finger in the book, you had to save your game, right? Especially if you're about to make a choice, you needed to save your game so that if you make the wrong choice or if you ended up dying, you could just go back and restore from that save point and make the opposite decision. And of course, you, you couldn't just save over the same save game. You needed to have lots and lots of save games at every different decision point because you never knew until way later on which one of those decisions it was that put you on the dark path or whatever that got you to a place you didn't want to be. Does anyone else maybe kind of wish that in real life you could just go back to where you had your finger stuck in a, a page or maybe, or maybe you could just go back to that save game point and just see how the other decision might have worked out? And I don't even mean the really big decisions. I mean like just the everyday kind of stuff. Because uh, I have a specific memory of when I was a teenager and my brothers and I were playing one of these games far too late at night. I'm sure, I'm sure it was Quest for Glory 4, if I'm being honest. Quest for Glory. We're all on a Quest for Glory. But um, Quest for Glory 4, and we're staying up way too late, we're playing this game. And then I was going to bed, and I was really, really tired. You know, that sort of that blurry eye, just walk, I'm off to bed now because I've been staring at a screen for hours. And I genuinely had these thoughts go through my mind. I'm not making this up because I had to talk to the brothers about it the next day, I said, the thought was, I'm so tired, maybe I don't need to bother cleaning my teeth. Now, that's not weird. I'm guessing that many teenage boys have had that thought at some point. But it was the next part. If I wake up in the morning and my teeth had started to rot, then I'll just restore back to here and <laughs> clean my teeth. For about two minutes, I genuinely thought that that was a, a, a realistic, reasonable thing to do. That, that's fine. If I make the wrong decision now, I'll just 
come back to this point and make the right decision <laughs> if it turns out badly. Uh, and then I kind of woke up and realized I'm not a character in a computer game. <laughs> the ability to go back and do it over again would be amazing in some ways, right? It would open up a world of incredible possibilities, but also terrifying possibilities, I think. Because sure, maybe there's a version where we would end up always making the right choice, but also because there would be actually no real consequences to any decision you made, maybe you would never actually try to make the right choice in the first place. And then there's the whole multiverse, parallel universe, and darkest timeline side of things to, to think about, which, you know, I've seen those movies, so I should leave that alone. But we make many, many choices every day, every week, every year over the course of our lives. Most of them are relatively inconsequential. Like whether or not you clean your teeth on one particular night doesn't have lasting ramifications. But making that same choice night after night is going to lead to problems. But other decisions, other choices, other one-off sort of moments have far more significant and much larger consequences. And sometimes those choices have a major impact not just on our own lives, but on the lives of people around us. Our choices are important. So how do we follow the advice of my colleague and make good choices? I was reading the other day the book of Numbers, and there was a passage in chapter 9 which really stood out to me and spoke to me, and that's what I want to share from this morning. And this passage is just one small part of an amazing story in the Old Testament of how God freed the Israelite people from captivity in Egypt. And we know lots of that story. And through the leadership of a man called Moses, God led the Israelites on a long journey through the desert and through the wilderness in order to come to the land that God had promised them. And the whole story is filled with incredible displays of God's power and remarkable miracles of his provision for the people and this particular passage is roughly from the middle section of the story as the Israelites were wandering through the desert. So Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. It reads this. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening to morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So this passage tells us that from the very day they set up the tabernacle, which was their holy place, it was, I guess, like a, like a temple, but a tent. From that day, the presence of God appeared as a cloud settled over the tabernacle. And at night, the cloud looked like fire. 
So that in itself must have been an awesome sight, right? In the heat of the day under the desert sun, they had a covering of cloud. But then in the cold and dark of the desert night, they had a covering of fire. And it was a continual reminder and a constant visual display of God's power. But it was also more than that to the people. Because the passage describes the cloud as covering the tabernacle in one part, but it also says the cloud settled. And the word that it used for settled implies a closeness, a nearness, that God was actually dwelling amongst them. So it wasn't his, just his power that they could see, it was his presence that was with them. It wasn't just his protection over them, it was his comfort for them. That's the, that's the beginning of this passage. And then the rest of the passage just repeats this one idea over and over that when the cloud settled, they stayed, and when the cloud lifted, they moved. They had no idea how long the cloud would settle for. It could be days, weeks, months, years. As long as the cloud remained settled over the tabernacle, they would stay in that place. But the moment the cloud lifted, whether it was by day or by night, the Israelites would prepare to move, and they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. Now, I went through, and in this passage, there are 13 sentences, all right? In the English, there are 13 full stops. Okay, the first three sentences describe the cloud. And then every one of the next 10 sentences contains at least one of these three statements or a variation on these three statements. They encamped when the cloud settled, they set out when the cloud lifted, or they obeyed the Lord's command. In fact, most of the sentences say two or three of these things. So the author of this passage, I think, is trying to make a point by saying about 20 times that when the cloud settled, they stayed. And when the cloud lifted, they moved. I feel like that maybe the people were starting to get a picture too. It's like you can imagine the kids saying to their parents, when are we going? When are we leaving this place? Oh, it's when the cloud lifts, we'll go. Oh, yeah, okay. And when do we stay? Oh, when the cloud is settled, then we stay. Right, got it, okay. When the presence of God moved, they moved. When the presence of God stayed, they stayed. That sounds like a pretty good formula, doesn't it? It also makes it sound quite simple, the way they describe it. Pack up your tent and move on whenever the cloud lifts. Keep camping while the cloud is there, which is the exact opposite of how I do my summer camping, by the way. Like, you don't settle in, oh, the cloud's here, great, we'll camp here. Um, that's not how I do it. I also think it takes us about a day and a half to pack up camping, and there were like one or two million Israelites, so that's really impressive that they would just get up and go when the cloud lifted. My kids need to learn something from that, I reckon. <laughs> at the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. Pretty straightforward. When God says stay, stay. When God says go, go. And if you remember nothing else from this message, then just please remember that. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? Stay, stay. God says go, go. But there is still a choice. And the Israelites still had to make a choice because the Israelites weren't forced to do it. When the cloud lifted, they weren't all miraculously lifted up with it. They weren't transported by the cloud. But when the cloud lifted, they took that as a sign, they took that as God's command, and they chose to move. Right through this season, the author of this passage is telling us for this period of years, they chose 
to walk in obedience to what God was asking them to do. I don't know why God had them stay for months or even years at a time in one place. And as far as we can tell from this passage, they didn't know why either. But they chose to trust the divine wisdom of God. I don't know why God had them stay in other places for just one night, and as far as we can tell, they didn't know either. But they were learning to choose to trust in the divine wisdom of God. The leader Moses understood that it was a choice. Moses understood that walking in obedience wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a continuing, ongoing, day-by-day, step-by-step, encampment-by-encampment choice to trust and obey the word of the Lord. And right through this season, the Israelite people were learning to do that. A number of years later, uh, toward the end now of the Israelites' journey to the promised land. Moses had an opportunity to address the whole people, the community again, and he reminded them of this choice. And we read this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he puts a very clear choice before the people. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. People, you have a choice. You can choose, but choose life. It's up to you what you do, but choose life. You have life and prosperity on one hand. You have death and destruction on the other. Those are your options, but I'm telling you now, the best option is life. Choose life. Choose obedience. Choose to love the Lord your God. At this point, when Moses is delivering the speech, he knows that he's not gonna be leading the people for much longer. That from this point onwards, they need to make those choices for themselves. So he's imploring them, choose obedience, choose life, regardless of whatever other choices may come before them. As you read on through the Old Testament from that point, you discover that over the coming years, the Israelites sometimes chose life and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they walked in obedience, and sometimes they didn't. And there's an ongoing cycle that we read through over the next few books of the Old Testament, that there's obedience for a time, and then disobedience for a time. There's blessing for a time, then hardship for a time. And we're given this remarkable picture of the consequences of their choices over the coming decades. It's like we get to see what would have happened at their save game point. Which path are they gonna take? What are the consequences for that decision? In fact, the whole Bible is filled. It's absolutely filled with the stories of people who make choices. Some people who choose life and prosperity and others who choose death and destruction. 
Some people who choose to walk in obedience and others who choose to walk away. But the Bible is also filled with the stories of God's faithfulness and his continued desire for relationship with his people. You know, more than 34 years ago, uh, my parents started this church. And one of the founding promises that they received from God about starting this church was from John 15, verses 16. It says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And that verse, that promise that God actually has a choice and he has chosen us. We are a chosen people through the work of Jesus Christ. And that is the promise that mum and dad were holding on to when they planted this church. And it's the same promise we were holding on to as a church when we planted Selwyn two and a half years ago. And it's the same promise we're holding on to when we planted our campus in QE2 just last weekend. God has chosen us. And we are choosing to walk in obedience to his word. Most of you will be aware that starting next Sunday morning, Joe and I will be stepping into our new roles as campus pastors at our Selwyn campus. And as you can imagine, that isn't a choice that just suddenly happened. We didn't just sort of wake up one morning and thought, oh, we should probably go be campus pastors. Like, that's not the process. There was quite a a lot of conversation and and discussion and thinking. But it also wasn't something that was even on our radar prior, prior to coming back from our sabbatical at the end of January this year. On our first day back, Carl and Ange uh, took us out for lunch, which is very nice. I can't remember what we ate, but it's probably not important. Is that the detail we need? It was Thai food. It was Thai food. It was good. Um, and uh, we had to catch up on all the things that had been going on while we were away. And they told us about a number of things that had happened, a number of changes that had taken place. They talked about the new plans for the youth center, which is now the chapel. Uh, updates on what was happening with the QE2 campus, just all sorts of things that were going on. And at the end of the lunch, they said there was just one more thing they just wanted to, just to raise with us, <laughs> which was that they felt there was a new role in missions for Julia. And as part of making space for that role, it was time for her to step out of the campus pastor role at Selwyn. And would we consider stepping, in back, uh, stepping into that position? It's quite a welcome back to work lunch, actually. Um, you know, that's, actually, that was just a normal, a normal Monday lunch with Carl and Angie. Yeah. And obviously, we had lots of questions. We had lots of things to think about. We had a lot to process, like what would that mean for us? What would that mean for our kids and our family? And we met and discussed it with a few other key people to sort of try and get some wisdom into the conversation and, and the thought process. And the truth is, that if that was what Carl and Angie and the leadership team wanted, then we would have been willing to be obedient to that and to them. You know, if, they, if that was what they really, truly wanted, if they really needed us to do that, then we would have said yes and been obedient to them. P- probably. <laughs> That's honest. Be honest. P- maybe. <laughs> like, probably. Yeah. But Joe and I felt that it was one of those significant, long-lasting decisions that really had implications for us and for other people, we didn't want to get this one wrong. So over the next few weeks, we talked and we prayed, and then eventually we were able to get away for a couple of days. And I think this is really important. 
in a key decision. We got away, we got away from the noise, we got away from the busyness, uh, we got away from the kids so that we could spend time praying and in the word and seeking God's will for us because this is a big choice. And we couldn't just stick our finger in the page and go back to make the other choice later. Within just a few hours, really, of spending that time in prayer, it became very apparent what God was saying to us. We had a very strong sense in our spirits that our choice had moved away from being a yes or no to Carl and Ange and the leadership team and was now a matter of, will we choose to be obedient to God or will we choose not to? We strongly felt that the Lord was telling us to go. And if the Lord says stay, you stay. But if the Lord says go, you go. And I honestly don't know what all the best choices in life are. Like, don't ask me about fashion, although I do like my new boots. So that's good. (laughs) Sorry, I completely messed myself up. Where am I? So I don't know what all the best choices are. I don't. But I do know that choosing to obey God is always the right choice. Always. And we often say as a church, a phrase that you'll hear is on the other side of our obedience is someone else's breakthrough. And so for us as a family, as we move, that is what we are believing for and hoping for and praying for as we move into this new season. Team, could you come up as I uh, finish off here? Yeah, as I said earlier in the message, most of our everyday choices are fairly inconsequential. Most decisions we make when just taken on their own in isolation don't really have long-lasting ramifications. But some do. And sometimes we make the wrong decisions and those wrong decisions do have consequences in life. I understand that and we all have experience with that in one way or another. And I'll be really honest, we seem to live in a world now more than ever where some people want to define you by your past wrong choices And you regularly see stories where people are being shamed and attacked for things they said or did 10, 20, even 30 years ago. Poor choices. They were poor choices that they made in the past, but others continue to use those choices to define their present. But Jesus shows us that there is a much better way than that. You know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, we read a remarkable story of a woman who had made some poor choices. It's true, she had made poor choices. And the religious leaders of the day brought this woman before Jesus and said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Poor choice. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what what do you say about that? And they were treating her with such shame, such contempt. She's made a wrong choice, so now she should suffer the consequences. What's even sadder, they didn't even really care what happened to the woman at all. The only reason they were bringing this up, they were using her circumstances to see if they could trap Jesus. Whether she lived or died made no difference to them. They just didn't care. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to hear him say the wrong thing so then they could accuse him and punish him. But Jesus didn't even answer the question. He just bent down and started writing on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But they continued to question him, say, well, what do you say? This is what the law says, what should we do? And he stood up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent down and continued to write on the ground. 
It says that one by one, all the religious leaders and all the accusers began to leave that place until no one was left but Jesus and the woman. So Jesus turned to her and asked her, woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. See, Jesus actually had a choice because if, if what qualified you as being able to throw a stone was being without sin, then Jesus had the right to throw a stone. He was the only one there without a sin. He, without sin, he was the only one qualified. He was the only one who had the right, but he said, no, I don't condemn you either. He made a choice. He chose not to condemn her for her past choices, but neither did he condone them because he says then, go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't condemn her for her past choices, but he didn't condone a future where she would go and make the same wrong decisions. Go now and leave your life of sin. Make better choices. Make good choices. Choose life. Choose obedience. And I am so thankful that we serve a God who, regardless of our past, regardless of what we have said, regardless of what we have done, Regardless of the choices we have made before, he is full of forgiveness, he's full of mercy, he's full of grace, and he invites us to make new choices. He enables us even to be born again, a fresh start in him, and he transforms us day by day into his likeness. Church, would you stand with me if you are able? I'd love to pray, and then we're gonna worship together. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord. I believe there are some in this room who genuinely feel convicted at times because of past choices. And whether that conviction is because of what other people say or whether it is something you just carry in your own spirit, I really believe that God can set you free from that. That Jesus can say, oh no, I don't condemn you now go and sin no more. Those past choices can be left at the foot of the cross. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus chose to go to the cross for us. But those past choices can keep coming back to us. I know there are consequences, but God is saying, make good choices now. Leave those choices behind. So Lord, right now I just lift up anybody in this room who feels that sense of conviction for past choices. God, who carries around those mistakes as shame on them right now. God, we thank you that Jesus came to take away the shame, to take away the burden of sin. And Lord, right now, we invite your Holy Spirit to move on each one. Lord, to take that burden, to release them from that captivity and that shame in Jesus' name. But I pray too now for our future choices or even our now choice. Because the most important choice that you could possibly make is to choose to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To say, God, you can have my life. You can have it all. We're gonna be singing a song now that is called Available. Lord, here I am. I am available. You can have it all. And that choice to surrender your life to Him is the most significant choice that you can make. I just invite everybody, if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment. 
If there's anyone here today who feels that they, are, they would like to make that choice, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you after the service. And uh, John will be right at the front here. You'll be able to meet with him. He'd love to chat with you. Is there anyone right now who say, I would like to make that choice? I know I've made some choices in the past that have been the wrong choices, but I choose Jesus Christ. I choose his forgiveness. I choose to surrender my life to his lordship and to walk in obedience to his word. If that's you this morning, would you be willing to raise your hand in this place so I can see you and we can catch up with you afterwards? Lord, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we acknowledge that we do not always make the right choices, but today we stand again and declare we choose to walk in obedience to your word. We choose life. We choose to stay when you say stay. We choose to go when you say go. We offer up our hearts and lives to you afresh in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.